Well, here we are. We are finishing the book of Acts. And as you remember, in chapter 27, we saw Paul and his companions in a terrible storm. And chapter 27 ended with uh, Paul and his uh, fellow passengers uh, being shipwrecked near an island. And uh, this chapter then brings not only that story, but also Paul's journey to Rome to a conclusion. And today we not only see the end of the storm and the end of Paul's journey to Rome, but we also see the end of the book. And so this morning we have an opportunity to look back and ask this one fundamental question. What is the book of Acts about? What is the book of Acts really about? And the answer is that the book of Acts is fundamentally about a profound hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we are going to see that in three stages. First, uh, we want to focus our attention on the end of the storm, the end of the storm. Now, once again, you remember that in Acts chapter 27, Paul and his fellow passengers were shipwrecked and they abandoned ship. Uh, Some swam ashore and others clung to debris. And just as God promised to Paul that no one would lose their lives, we read in chapter 28, verse 1, after we were brought safely through, they were all spared. They were all saved as God had promised Paul. And Luke writes, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Malta is about 50 miles directly due south of Sicily. And you know, let me ask you to do this. After the worship service today, take out your phone or your computer, pull up your Maps app, find Malta and zoom in. And if you zoom in far enough, you will see at the northern end of Malta what's called St. Paul's Bay. Uh, That's the site, that's the location where traditionally it's been understood where Paul and his companions made landfall. That's where uh, they were rescued from the storm. And so we see here they were spared from the storm. But remember, it was a cold winter day. And I have no doubt, after living through the terrible storm for two weeks with very little sleep, how could you sleep? And with very little food, I'm sure they were very glad, but I'm also sure they were utterly exhausted, drenched head to toe, and shivering in the cold. And Luke tells us that the native people extended unusual kindness And I think what what Luke means by that is, you know, it had to be obvious to the natives that these people who washed ashore, many of them were prisoners. And I've no doubt they were still wearing their chains. And who knows what these people were guilty of? Who knows what these people, what kinds of crimes they have committed? But putting all those concerns aside, they kindled a fire and they welcomed them. And then we get verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. I just love the way that Luke just says this in passing. 
and moves on. I imagine Paul was also utterly exhausted, drenched head to toe, shivering in the cold. But he was serving. And what, what I find amazing is the way that Luke can simply pass this as a passing thought. And I think what that indicates is that Luke was not at all surprised at what Paul was doing because that was Paul's typical practice. Paul was a servant. And so even though he was himself spent, shivering, he is serving the people that are with him. But note that Paul's act, a very admirable act of service, quickly led to a scandal. Verse 3, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Will Paul's troubles ever end? Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit uh, we read, who directed Paul to go to Jerusalem. And for going to Jerusalem, Paul was beaten and arrested. It was Jesus' command for Paul to go to Rome. And Paul, with all his heart, obeyed. And for that, he was thrown into the storm and he was shipwrecked to experience sleepless nights, hunger, and exposure. And here he is, serving. And because he is serving, he suffered what the local people immediately recognized as a fatal bite. Will Paul's troubles ever end? Why does God do this with one of his most faithful servants? Well, that question will be answered later. But notice what the native people make out of this event. They see Paul and they see the viper biting him and that told them everything they needed to know about Paul. And so they say in verse 4, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Some of you have uh, translations in English Bibles where justice is capitalized. I realize that that's not always the case, but it's, I think it's right that justice is capitalized because it, is, it was a name of a local goddess, a justice, who they thought uh, was the, the bringer of justice and revenge. And so what these local people are saying is this, Paul, by some stroke of luck, escaped the storm, but our goddess, justice, is bringing to him what he deserves. Because he, obviously, all these bad things, he is bitten by this viper. Obviously, he deserves to die. That's what they're saying. But contrary to their expectation, Paul did not die. In fact, nothing happened to him. And so they began to ask, what could this mean? Who is he? And they concluded, well, he must be a god. Well, the news about Paul spread quickly, and one of the leading citizens, uh, Publius, uh, he received Paul into his house. And it turns out that his father, Publius's father, was sick with fever and dysentery. It turns out there's something called Malta fever. It's, it afflicts those regions. And this is an illness, this is a sickness that's uh, caused by a microorganism that's present in the Maltese goat milk. 
and it causes such severe illness that that if you become sick with with Maltese uh, Malta fever, uh, you stay sick for months, two to three months, and in some cases, without modern medicine, the illness lasts two to three years. Uh, this was a severe illness, but Paul visited him, prayed, and putting his hands on him and healed him. And so this is where God is bearing witness of his servant. Paul was not a criminal, nor was he a god, but he was a servant of the God who saves and heals. And the grateful people who were healed, uh, they stocked Paul's ship with provision once winter passed and they were ready to set sail. So that's the end of the storm. And that brings us to the second point, the end of the journey. In verse 11, we read that after three months, we set sail. And so from Malta, they set sail. uh, And they harbored at Syracuse, which is on the uh, southeastern end of Sicily. And then they sailed off the coast of Malta through Sicily, through the Strait of Messina between uh, Sicily and Calabria, which is, if you look in the map, the, the toe portion of Italy. And then they traveled north of the western shores of Italy and reached Puteoli. Uh, it's near modern-day Naples. And from there, they traveled by land to Rome. And then we read in verse 15, And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came to meet us, On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. What an arduous journey it has been for Paul. And what incredible hardships he has endured. Uh, You have to figure that Paul was physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted. And where does he find refreshment? Where does he find encouragement? in the fellowship of the believers. Now, over the course of our studies through Acts, I've had the opportunity to mention several, uh, at several points the importance of Christian fellowship that we see in the book of Acts. Paul, as gifted as he was, as outstanding a disciple as he was, he was never alone. He was always traveling with Friends. He was always laboring together with co-workers because, you see, Paul, that gifted man, that learned man, that wise man, if he could not dispense of Christian fellowship, the obvious question is, can we, can we afford to forego, ignore, or be without the dis- uh, fellowship of God's people? And the obvious question is, obvious answer is, of course, not. And so one of the things that we constantly uh, see through the book of Acts is that God refreshes our hearts. He brings us encouragement, yes, through the word of God, yes, of course, and through the ministries of uh, his spirit, but certainly through the fellowship of God's people. And so Paul's weary heart was refreshed 
when uh, he met with the brothers, the fellow believers. And finally, he arrived in Rome. And in Rome, Paul kept to his typical unusual pattern and spoke to the Jews first. And you notice here that as a prisoner, he did not have the freedom to come and go as he wished. Uh, As a prisoner, he still had a, a guard chained to him. And so in verse 17, we read that after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And so they had to come to him because he could not go to them. And once the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people gathered, he gave them a detailed account of why it is and how it is that he has come to be in Rome. How he was accused by the Jews in Jerusalem of turning his back to God's law and the tradition of his fathers. But that how Paul was examined at length, and every person that has examined them, be it the Roman authorities or the Jewish uh, expert, they all declared him innocent of the charges. And how he had appealed to Caesar when his trial was clearly going in the direction not of justice, But when Festus was trying to please the Jews and was about to corrupt the course of the proceedings, how Paul made an appeal to Caesar. And so Paul gave a detailed account of his witness, his ministry of proclaiming Jesus, that Jesus Christ, he is the fulfillment of of God's promise to our fathers. That if you are a loyal Israelite, you must receive Jesus because he's the very climax of scriptures and he's the answer to the many questions that the scriptures have raised and the Paul was himself adding nothing more or less to the Old Testament scriptures in proclaiming Jesus and so we read in verse 23 that from morning till evening he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus But once again, as it was often the result of Paul's ministry, in verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And so Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 when he says to them, how Isaiah said to their fathers, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand You will indeed see, but never perceive. You see, Isaiah prophesied to a people of hardened hearts. And Isaiah knew that their hardened hearts would uh, persist, that they would refuse to believe the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. And just as Isaiah saw in his own days, Isaiah's prophecy were fulfilled when the people of Israel, they received the good news of Jesus Christ as an offense. Just think about this. Do you see the tragedy to receive the words of eternal life and by the very means 
that were supposed to and that were meant to bring eternal life, they received death. So words of life became to them a sentence of death. And because of their hardened heart, they will hear one day from the one who came to save them, say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. There's no greater tragedy than to to receive the good news of God as an offense and an insult. There's no greater tragedy to listen to the words that that have the power to give us life, but through it receive condemnation and death. Why did this happen? How did this happen? Well, throughout the study of Acts, we've seen many reasons But I think two reasons are worth remembering. I think we have a tendency to often dismiss what is familiar. We crave the new and we crave the latest. And the old truths feel constricting and suffocating. You know, now that I have teenage children, um, I'm just living for the day when they fall in love with jazz. It hasn't happened yet. Because when they listen to the kind of music that I listen to, you know, it has no appeal to them. And I'm sure it's partially because it's what I like. You know, that boring old, you know, there's nothing to it. One day, they, I, I hope, fall in love with jazz, but it hasn't happened. And I think we do that, don't we? When, when we are young, we tend to dismiss, we tend to scorn the things that our parents have instilled in us. What we see they love, they don't mean so much to us. And I think this is one of the reasons why we sometimes see children that were raised in a believing home they walk away from faith. Why? Because they've dismissed, they've scorned the old truths that they were taught. Now certainly, uh, something isn't right just because it is old and something isn't wrong just because it is new. But nevertheless, I think we, we all of us have this tendency to dismiss what is familiar. And that's what the people of Israel did. You know, they were privileged. They were raised with the scriptures. And yet, when they were confronted with God's word, they dismissed it. And the Jews also did not think deeply about what they heard. You know, they thought they knew what God is all about. They thought they they understood the scriptures. And so convinced of their wisdom, they became unteachable. I've seen that too. Ignorance is dangerous, but I think if there's anything more dangerous than ignorance is little knowledge. When you know just enough to get yourself in trouble. And I think that's what happened with the Jewish people. They refused to think deeply because they thought, you know, I got God figured out. I know what scriptures teach. I don't need you to teach me. 
and they became unteachable. Loved ones, we must not repeat their mistake. Old truths do not become lies simply because time has passed. Truth does not change. And if you are young and if you are given the faith of your fathers, do not dismiss it, do not scorn it, but embrace it. And it may be that you will face many temptations when you come across something new, it feels exciting, it feels different, it feels liberating, but it is a dead end. And secondly, pray for the wisdom to be teachable. Pray for God's grace that you may always learn. Paul, as he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, he even quotes the last part in verse 27. This is where the Holy Spirit is speaking with grief through the lips of the prophet Isaiah because his people were so hardened in their heart. And the Holy Spirit said, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You see, it grieved the Holy Spirit to see his people listening but not hearing, seeing but not understanding. And he longed for them to hear and to understand, to see and to perceive. And so what is it that we need to perceive and what is it that we need to understand? What is God's healing? Paul continues in verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. That which you and I need to hear and perceive, our healing is Jesus. Jesus. And so let me ask you, do you know Jesus? And that brings us First, it brought us to the end of the storm. It brought us to next, to the end of the journey. And that brings us now to the end of the book. You note here that Luke finished the book of Acts before Paul met Nero and was eventually acquitted and set free. You know, sometimes there's this... Um, perspective out there that the New Testament books were uh, finished uh, maybe even in the second century, long after these events took place that they cannot possibly be reliable. But you see here, Luke, after documenting everything carefully leading up to Paul's arrival in Rome, doesn't tell us about what happens after that. Why? Because the book of Acts was completed as Paul waited to be seen and be heard by Caesar. And so what we know from history and from different parts of the New Testament is that uh, Paul stayed in Rome, waited for two years uh, before he was uh, heard by Nero and he was acquitted and set free. And after that, he continued on in his ministry for a number of years. And at some point, he was arrested again and then was executed by Nero around the year AD 64. 
And when you look at Paul's life, when you think about Paul's life, you might say to yourself, what a tragedy. And it is true, in a sense, it was a tragedy. If we only understand Paul's life from the vantage point of his suffering. But Acts is a book of profound hope. Because, you know, Paul never imagined when Paul, when Jesus told Paul, you must go and bear witness of me before Caesar. Paul never would have imagined that he would arrive in Rome as a prisoner wearing, in cha- wearing chains. And if it were up to Paul, this certainly would not have been his plan. But do you see how Paul's arrest and trial brought the gospel before Caesar in ways that he could have never managed or accomplished himself? The fact that he was brought to Rome in chains and for two years he had to wait, it gave him the opportunity to proclaim God's word boldly and without hindrance for two years. And even the Jewish people's rejection of the gospel, you see in the book of Acts, even the Jews' rejection of the gospel led to the salvation of the Gentiles. And so what do you see? You see that God of Acts The God of Acts is not hindered by opposition. He is not hindered by unbelief. But the God of Acts even uses them as his instruments of salvation. The God of Acts is worthy of praise. And Acts gives us hope. Frustration and disappointment are woven into the fabric of life in this fallen world. Christian and unbelievers alike, we experience suffering, frustration, deep injustice. But the unbelievers, when they suffer, their disappointment, their pain, the injustice that they suffer, the frustration that they live with, they are not redeemed and they are not answered. But when we who are in Jesus Christ, when we experience frustration, disappointment, suffering, setbacks, pain, We who are in Jesus Christ know this, that God in his grace redeems our suffering and grace of God answers the question, why? Why? Because Jesus' tomb is empty. There is the cross There is death, but there is also glorious resurrection. And so to us, suffering only seems in vain. For the unbeliever, it is truly in vain. 
because their suffering are not redeemed and they are not answered but for us we have as our father the God who is not hindered by unbelief opposition rebellion but causes all things to work together for the good of those that he loves and he called to glory that's the comfort that we have and that's the hope we read in the book of Acts so was Paul's life a tragedy only if we consider his life without the wisdom of the cross only if we know nothing about God's grace then Paul was a fool he gave up a promising career and every privilege that comes with it only to suffer but if we know what God is doing if we know what God did through Paul how even the greatest setbacks that he experienced even his greatest sufferings led to God's gracious work and how nothing that he suffered was in vain, but that Paul now wears the crown of glory. No, his life was not a tragedy. His sufferings were not in vain, and neither are yours. And finally, we are anxious, aren't we, about the opposition to the Christian faith that we see all around us. Isn't it funny, though, how we worry as though we have never read the book of Acts? Yes, there are some good reasons why we do feel anxious. But please, do remember what you read in the book of Acts. I have this sneaking suspicion that if Paul were here with us today, if he were here and if we, if we looked around and saw everything that's going on, I have this sneaking suspicion that Paul would be utterly amazed at how blessed we are. It's all about perspective, isn't it? We are so anxious and so fearful, we think that nothing short of an apocalypse is upon us. Paul would look at our times and our life and our experiences and think, you are so blessed. So don't be anxious as if you learn nothing from the book of Acts. And I think if Paul were here, he would also encourage us. The entire book of Acts is really the unfolding and the fulfillment of Jesus' command in chapter 1, verse chapter one verse 8, where Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Loved ones, have you come to know Jesus as the one who died and rose for you? Have you come to know Jesus and know that he reigns from heaven and that his kingdom will be one day the only kingdom left standing? If so, 
This is the question. If that is true, how must we then live? That is the question before you. In Jesus' name, amen.